All right. Good evening. Good evening to you, Facebook evening. family and our listeners. This yes, is Minister Harrell Washington with the Millennial Minute. Me and Nicholas Nakori will be discussing a plethora of issues. One of the biggest issues now is that many millennials are leaving the church in a mass exodus. And one of the things that we have questions about is where did these traditions come from? Are they scripturally sound? We are a podcast that is seeking the truth and only the truth. We are not seeking an opinion. We are not seeking uh, what is socially acceptable. We are not seeking for a social trend, but we are here to discuss the truth of what the church should be, not only politically, not only uh, economically, not only socially, but we are seeking what is the truth of who God is in today's relevant times. Uh, I'm Minister Harrell Washington. I'm a native of Austin, Texas. I'm a graduate of Pflugerville High School, class of 2005. My bachelor's is, is uh, in business management with small business development from the Prairie View A&M University. I am also a very proud member of Omega Psi Phi Fraternity Incorporated, uh, Rotated Chapter. I am also a uh, student of the Houston Baptist School of Christian Thought, where I went to get my master's in theological studies. Uh, my brief background in ministry is this. I did get licensed and ordained as of 2014 under the tutelage of Pastor A.L. Sneed II with the South Austin Community Church. I did come to the Dallas area. Uh, my first ministry stop was the Restoration Church under Pastor James Mosley. Then I did go to the Potter's House main campus. And then from there, I'm currently under uh, Pastor Patrick Winfield with the Potter's House of Fort Worth. And I'm actively involved in the men's ministry. I'm a happily married man to my beautiful wife, Dominique. Uh, she has the ambitions one day to not only be a politician, not only be a mother, but to be a godly woman where I have an influence over a generation that she will teach the truths to that we have found to be self-evident. Man, after an introduction like that, <laughs> man, that's awesome. That's awesome. I am Nicholas Nakori, uh, Elder Nick uh, is what I go by, but um Let's just give you a big brief background about myself. I am um, a Dallas native, been here majority of my life. Uh, I started I started ministry at a very young age. Um, when I started, I started at St. Luke Community United Methodist Church at the time under uh, Pastor Zane Wesley Holmes. Uh, after which I left at after graduation and went on to go a part of campus ministries that were on at UNT, University of North Texas, and which we I was a part of the Christian Fraternity and Sorority, Zeta Phi Zeta, Christian Fraternity and Sorority Incorporated. Uh, it's based out of Chicago, Illinois. From there, we started our own Bible studies. And uh, on campus, I was also a part of Kerr Bible Study and different Bible study groups as well. From there, I went on to community where at outreach ministries under Apostle Lisa Tarpley, from there, um, I went from there to move to D.C., come back here, and I've been a part of uh, the Sanctuary of Dallas under Apostle Kulon Portley for the past 11 years. Under that ministry, I have been a uh, youth leader. I've been, I was licensed as a minister, and I've been an elder for, I was ordained as an elder for the past four years. I believe it was 2017. And from there, it's just been a quest of, reaching the truth, reaching the gospel, and reaching people. So with all that being said and done, let's get to this work. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Very, very, very honored to work with this gentleman. Just a little background right, so guys. that you both understand, all of you out there can understand the dynamic between uh, Nick and myself. I actually met Nick uh, the week of Thanksgiving 2015, yes. I was uh, chosen um, to preach at, a, at, at, one, at First Community um, with uh, preaching to a dying man. That's what it was called. Yeah. It was based off of that, that infamous scripture, can these bones live? And um, one of the things is, you know, one thing that did come to life that day was a friendship that would last yeah. For the rest of our natural lives, yeah. um, Nick has, I can honestly say, he has been with me through the good, 
He has been with me through the bad that Dallas has had to offer, and he has not left. Dallas not out there, bad. No, I'm saying it, I'm referring to me. I'm referring to what I've experienced. I got, you, I got you. Yeah, some of the good and the bad that I have experienced here. He has nonetheless been with me throughout every journey, every twist, and every turn. Um, I can honestly say the thing that's very um, good about this podcast that we are going to start is Nick is the type of person who can be honest with me and tell me when I'm wrong, and I'm the type of person who can be honest with him yes, sir. and tell him that he is wrong. Yes, so it's not that he and I are going to always be on the same accord. It is not that he and I are always going to theologically agree with certain things, but there is a mutual respect and a friendship that is there that allows for a discussion to even take place. What many of us fail to realize is even with the apostles uh, who preached the word of God, there was often a difference in vision. There was sometimes where Paul had to openly rebuke Peter because he said, how is it that you expect the Gentiles to come to hear the word? And we can see that you treat the Jews completely different than them. Exactly. So we even know through our holy scriptures that there is a contrast that can often come when two viewpoints uh, on how to see a particular issue can come about. But I can honestly say that this will not be a podcast where it's just meet merely opinions. Uh, we will do research. We will keep the receipts is what people say. We exactly. Will, we will have yeah. the receipts. So anything we do say, we can be able to provide you accurately in writing. Uh, so that way there is no, no confusion about whether this is something that was fabricated or not. Because one thing that's essential with teaching truth is that you have to be able to substantiate your claims. You have to be able to thoroughly explain uh, your perspective, and you also have to be able to provide people materials for them to be able to discover what it is that you're saying themselves. And just to give a very brief uh, piggyback off of that, Harrell has, def has definitely grown from just being a friend to one of my brothers, and I mean that so, so sincerely. Because, like he said, how he said that I he'll, he I've been there for him, but he's been there for me as well. I've had a lot of uh, things happen in my life where I've had um, setbacks, tragedies, uh, loss of family members, and throughout the entire time, he's always been a, a stable rock person for me. That even if I just needed to vent or things of that sort. So even within this podcast, you'll see that kind of dynamic kind of playing off of each other, where it's not like it's just two guys talking, but you're listening to. Uh, a conversation between two theologians, in a sense, at the same time, two really great friends and two brothers conversing, trying to convey this message of truth that we want to have people see. And with that being said, let's segue into this topic about what's the what is going on with why there's a mass exodus with millennials leaving the church. Ah, uh, well, in my opinion, from the research that I've done. One of the biggest things has to do with traditions. And the reason why I say that is because there's many things that I've even challenged those who are elders in the church upon. For one of the uh, one of the biggest issues when I taught on the traditions of men was I asked uh, on Friday Night Fire, which is a prayer line uh, that I do host weekly as well. I'd ask, I said, where is it in scripture that in the church we're supposed to have a table that says, do this in remembrance of me. And yeah. what I've read in scriptures where the tabernacle was given precise dimensions and the ephod and different priestly garments and robes had specific dimensions and specific things that they, they were to contain. Uh, the tabernacle, Solomon's temple, but I've never read that when Jesus had did the first communion when he sat with his disciples, and he told them, do this in remembrance of me. I've never read in scripture where there were dimensions that were given or instruction was given to build such a table to, to be housed in the house of God. And, and if you have found that, if there's a Bible I have not read, please let me know. Yes. But uh, yeah. I have not found where that tradition is found scripturally that we're to contain a, um, a communion table within the church. Uh, that's, that's one of the things. Another thing is, is many people say, well, you know, the elders of the church shun us because of tattoos. Uh, one of my issues with that is this is because what you understand is tattoos, when it writes of that in the law, the Pentateuch, it speaks of the fact that they weren't to tattoo themselves 
Israel was not to do that because what many of us have to understand was the cultures that were going to be around Israel when they were going to obtain the promised land, they would often leave demarcations on their bodies to dedicate their bodies as really a living sacrifice to show the ownership of the pagan gods that they worshiped that were around them. So in essence, if people are not demarcating their body to show a worship to Satan or to show a worship to Hinduism or a worship to another God other than Yahuwah, Yahweh, you know, Yah, the God of Israel, I, I'm not really seeing how within the context, and that's another thing, is how scripture is used. I think that's yeah. a big reason why yeah. many people within the church are, yeah. are leaving because when you use the wrong context, you really con the text. And when you're going around beating people up with scripture, but you're not using it in the wrong context, it's a form of manipulation. And I wouldn't want to be anywhere where I'm manipulated either. Yeah. I, I don't do it with friends. I don't do it with family. I don't do it with relationships. So it, it's a much deeper factor than just, well, why are no young people here? Uh, it is a topic that we are going to discuss even with sociopolitical yeah. aspects of the church. You know, do we do we become a church that affects the community or do we become a church that's silent in hopes that the community sees us and then comes to us? Yeah. You know, but I often think of when Paul, when the men had desired to kill Paul after he'd been converted. Do you remember that? Yeah. yeah. You know, it said the Bible tells us that men had grabbed Paul and they put him through a hole in the wall so he could escape yeah. from those men that desired to kill him. The church went out and sought someone who was in danger. And got him safely away. So why is it that we as a church oftentimes feel like because of separation in church and state that at some points with certain things that we have to be silent? Well, well, another thing that I just kind of want to give out is um, we we have to remember what says in scriptures that we are allowing the traditions of men to make the word of God to no avail. It's our traditionalism sometimes that, that causes the people to be like, I, I use this example. Um mm -hmm. I grew up Methodist and it's not no knock to, you know, certain things because certain things are just symbolic. They're symbols of things. But we have to be very careful of things that are symbolic because they become a tradition to us mm -hmm. and they have no real purpose because we lose the sight of the reason why it was put in place. So I'll give you an example. Like uh, one thing is uh, Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday happens in in a, on the Wednesday after that that symbolizes Lent. Okay. And so they're starting it really. So to put in perspective, everybody knows about Carnival or Fat Tuesday, right? Okay. Everything happens all the way up until Fat Tuesday and then it ends at midnight. And that's when technically Lent starts, right? Okay. Tell me this. Where is Lent in the scripture? Where? Where is it? And so... You're, so the purpose of it is... I'm sorry, I couldn't find any crickets it's to, fine. to chirp. <laughs> it's fine. Because I understand that it's it's uh, symbolic of it's about 40 days or so before Easter. But then even on this sense of Easter, Easter is a pagan a pagan, uh, com, a pagan word. In Absolutely. Because the reality is... A pagan goddess is a pagan. Exactly. So I'm sitting here pointing out saying that we have a tradition with a pagan name on top of it, of signifying of a, a pagan deity and not realizing that the entire symbolism of Christ dying was a fulfillment of law of him being the Passover. So in essence, what we're celebrating isn't, isn't Easter, but it's the Passover. But and, not even just that, not even just that with, with uh, Resurrection Sunday, my issue is, is that when you really discover the Mesopotamian um, traditions behind that from her son, Tammuz, that was gored by a pig mm -hmm. and him being buried and believing to have risen three days later. And then in celebration of him rising from the dead, Easter's son, they would gore and kill a pig to commemorate that. And it's amazing how even within Christian traditions, that many people celebrate, quote unquote, Easter by eating an Easter ham. Yeah. And it's like, you know, one of the things that we have to understand is, is that God is not going to be mixed with things of the world or the traditions of men that have. And I, and I will sit, I'll straight up say this. Many of the traditions have blended into Christianity 
from the Protestant movement, but it also had to do with the traditions from the Protestants that were kept from Catholicism. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that we have to understand what's so profound about that is a lot of us hear scripture within the church, but we don't really understand the origins of why scripture was written the way that that it was written. Mm -hmm. We have to understand that, you know, one of the things that I really hate to hear within the church is that, you know, my white brothers and sisters will be like, oh, I don't see color. I, I don't see I don't see people uh, uh, any different than I see me. But what you have to understand is God does. Exactly. And, you know, if that would be the case, then why would God write a book specifically to the Hebrew people? Yeah. The book of Hebrews. God distinguished and established people to be different. I mean, it's, it's no different than the body of Christ having different gifts that work in unison together to become one body. God would need one body if there was only one race of people, you know, I mean, he, there, there would be, uh, one body, but it, it wouldn't be the same if everybody was of the same race. Yeah. And, you know, that's the reason why it's all nations, you know, you know, the Bible even tells us that he made all nations from one blood. So it's like, what we have to understand is there's supposed to be a uniformity there. So I should see you as being my white brother. You should see me as being your black brother. You should see that person as being your Mexican brother, your Asian brother. One of the things that we have to understand was God had intended for everything to be blended, everything to be blended together. But one of the things that we have to address is church is often one of the most segregated times in our society. Yep. There's a white church. There's a black church. There's an Asian church. There's a, a church that speaks only Spanish. There's a church that's uh, that's predominantly Hispanic that has English services. But if we're all worshiping the same God, why is there no unity amongst the people? And what many of us have to understand as millennials and, and not to even let up off of us, because to be honest with you, many of us still have many of the same stigmas and beliefs of baby boomer parents and grandparents that fought in World War II, a lot of us still haven't let go of some um, slave traditions within Christianity. Some people have not let go of some Dixie beliefs when it yeah. comes to Christianity. There's still people who believe that black people are accursed according to scripture, but oftentimes won't look at 2 Kings chapter 5, talking about the plank in my eye, but you, you, you're not, you're looking at the speck in my eye, I'm sorry. You're looking Matthew. at the speck in my eye, but you're not looking at the plank in yours. It's also referenced in Matthew too. Yeah, but you know, there, there's scripture that supports that you can't just blame all of one people or all of one thing yeah. to be the problem within society. And the way that society is, is according to how God punished them because of who they are. Because if that's the case... God should punish us all and punish us all equally. You should be right there with me because exactly. the scripture tells us that there's not one of us who is righteous. So, so I, w I would even, I'm going to play, I'm going to play devil's advocate for a second. Not devils. We're playing the it, inverse angel. Okay. I'll give you that. Yeah. 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 We don't, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, I'll play, I'll play the advocate. How about that? Uh, I, I I'll play the advocate that. for this yeah. one. Yeah. So, <laughs> Um, this this is the this is something that I've done some research on, okay. and uh, the things that I've, I'm kind of like been been bothered been bothered by is because a lot of I'm gonna go on the topic of what's very prevalent right now, and today is uh, March seventh, twenty twenty one. Even after the year that we had last year in twenty twenty, which is like a year that will never be forgotten, but we wish we could. But uh. <laughs> We saw we saw a rise in in the unification of black people and black consciousness in a sense, but um, at this very moment, the one thing that stood out the most is dealing with the issue of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. And so, and in dealing with systemic racism, this is the research that I've I found out is that the very place that we're supposed to have freedom in, the very place that we're supposed to find truth in, is the very place that also sanction racism. At its very core. Oh, uh, see, there you go. Start stuff. I mean, because the thing is, in order for us to really dive down to understand why that the millennials or even just people in general have been leaving the church in, in a mass style exodus 
is because part of it is is because we are being more educated and more aware of what's been going on. And we realize that there is something that's going on that's almost saying the blinders have been removed and we're now seeing the truth. So mm-hmm. with that being said, I'm sitting here like, OK, uh, could it be that at this point in time that the and whenever you hear this, be sure to um, you can message either myself or Harrell and get in contact with us because I want to hear y'all comments on this about what are some what are some of your thoughts behind that and why do you think that do you think or let me let me better phrase it this way do you think that because of how uh, racism started is the reason why or the reason why we are so divided or let mm. me or let me try to let me try to make that question better do you think that we are so divided primarily because of the church itself because of how it was set up during the time of slavery. I agree with that. And I'll share with you why I say that. Because one of, one of the books that I've read was uh, called America's Unholy Ghost. Uh, oh, wow. Shout out shout out to my mother because she sent that book to me. She said, young minister, I feel like you need to read this. <laughs> so shout out to her. One of the things, and this was a white guy who wrote this book. So you can take the bias off of what I'm about to say. It wasn't me who said it. One of the things that he said was that through his Christian education that he got, one of the things that he noticed was with the black church, it was a place of refuge. Mm. Because what he's noticed was, is that with the black church, it's a place where people can finally feel like they can be free, where they can finally feel like they're not going to be beat up by society where they finally feel like they can get a word of encouragement and a word to keep them going. Whereas he mentioned with white churches that it was a place of empowerment. It was a place where they were, you know, pretty much re-energized to revamp and to rebuild their community. They, they're told that prosperity and hard work is what they need to leave behind to their children and that they really use the church in, in lieu of their community as an epicenter to continue to perpetuate and propel their agenda. Mm. When he writes this, he writes it as if white people are empowered and enriched by when they go to church to go out and continue to be productive uh, within the world. But he writes that with the black church, it's more of a place of refuge, like because we've been beat up so much at work, uh, having to alter hairstyles, alter the way you talk, not really being able to express what's right in the situation. You know, not really being able to really be even yourself um, or even have certain social anxieties uh, with dealing with people at work addressed the way that you would like. Uh, it, it seems that what he writes in here is he explains that it's a place of, you know, just hold on. You know, and even if you think about some of the songs we sing within church. Hold on, change is coming. Hold on, God's going to do it in the midnight hour. But their songs are about, well, you know, he's already done it. He's here. You're his best. You're his this. And you know, when you think about it, it's very true because we can laugh about how Joel Osteen preaches and well, you know, I'm going to get you in a good Bible-based church and you know, Jesus says everything that you are (laughs) and that you know, these really have to call them out like that. No, no, no. But 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 listen to what I'm saying, though. Okay. Listen to what I'm saying. I got you. you are who Jesus says that you are. You can do what your Bible says you can do. Versus, well, hold on, God's gonna turn it around in the midnight hour. Mm, yeah. Oh, your breakthrough's almost here. Yeah. Your breakthrough's almost. He's telling people. As funny as Joe Osteen can be, too, with some of his jokes, he's telling people, it's already here. It's already done. The promises has already been enriched. We, on the other hand, because people have been so beat up within our church, we have to give them something so they have something to hold on to. And that makes a whole different mentality. If you have an abundance mentality, you don't view things the same way as someone who's been impoverished. Yeah. If you if you're dealing with destitution spiritually and you're barely holding on, what you want to hear is, oh, there's something coming. Yeah. Oh, uh, God is about to do it for me with what I'm holding on to. 
versus you being enriched to be told, well, it's already here. It's already expected for you to have it. It's already told for you to come and get so, it. So here's my question to that, because you're giving me two different perspectives. Mm -hmm. So my question is, which one of those are the truth? Which perspective is the truth? In whose opinion? I would say not not necessarily your opinion, but I would say which which message is really the truth. Is it the empowerment or is it the holding on? Which one is it? It's empowerment. Okay. And I'll tell you why. Okay. When you read within scripture, you remember the man with the withered hand? Yeah. Man had a withered hand. Yeah. Livelihood, all of that impoverishment. Yeah. The agriculture society. The white people are taught is Jesus' will for you to be healed and to be made whole. These are the things that they teach them and empower them within their churches. Okay. We teach, well, you know, if it's God's will, we'll believe it'll be done. Uh, we, we just got to hold on and let the Lord change it. It's the same mentality. The man with the withered hand walks up and he asks Jesus, he says, well, is it your will for me to be made whole? He said, yes, it's the Father's will for you to be made whole. Now stretch your hand forth and his hand was restored. Yeah. He came in withered. He came in beat up. He came in in a downtrodden position. But the thing was, he had to ask if it was the will of the Father for him to even be made whole. Many of us within our community think about that. We, we sometimes second guess if we're worthy for God to bless us. We sometimes second guess if God really wants us to be made well, if God really wants us to be made whole, mm -hmm. if God really wants the best for us. Yeah. I mean, even when we look at within our society and you, and you read within, well, look at our society. They made Jesus the image of Serapis Christus. <laughs> you know, A white the, dude. <laughs> they, they've made angels white, yeah. made demons black. Yeah, You know, I mean, even to the point to where now some of us in our community even speak the same way. Mm -hmm. Talk about people being extra black, mm -hmm. all, all dark, darky and all of that. And so even the way society beats us up. Yeah. Or even a lot of us have assimilated that same mindset and have a downtroddenness. And it carries over to how you come into the house of God and what you expect from God. So, so how can we, as a people, break that break that mindset? And then, how how could we, as being people of people of influence, uh, people that are educated in the gospel and the text, and have a desire to have people saved and have a desire for them to be a part of the church? And when I say the church, I'm not necessarily saying the physical building. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying the unity of faith. How can we convey that message to them and then have them be involved and want to be a part of it? How can we do that? I think it really comes from the truth and scripture being taught. Okay. The reason why I say that is, is because many of the traditions that surround scripture are the reason why people are leaving. Because even when you had mentioned and it, uh, so brilliantly, about with the with the slavery and uh, the way that the church was set up, one of the things that we have to understand was that the preacher during slaves' times, the sermons that he preached to the black people had to be approved by the white people before he gave them. Isn't that still going on today, though? In what in what sense? In the sense of I look at it from this perspective: of you have some churches, and I'm mm -hmm. saying some because it's not all. But you have some churches, and I say specifically like mega ministries. Okay. We're, we're in a Bible Belt, so you know well, of course, you can find a church. Buckle at that. You can find a church literally on almost every corner. Yeah, there's like, a matter of fact, there's one just around the corner from here. Yeah, and it's just it's kind of it's kind of crazy. But um, when when you have like mega ministries like that, and you have issues that come up, like when you had George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, you had these uh, protests, and I and I refuse to say that when. Uh, people of color, black people, African-Americans, uh, when we came together and started to stand up for, for rights, for equality, for, for actual, um, I would say, for our voice to really be heard, mm -hmm. I refuse to say that it was a riot because I'm sitting here like every time I was there and every time I saw it, the majority of the time we were the ones that were being peaceful and the ones that were not a part of us were the ones being riotous. 
But that's just a sidebar. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I look at those mega ministries and say, what did they do to stand up and speak in proxy when they have a huge congregation or a huge following of African-American people or they have a huge following of the people that are being oppressed? What did they do opposed to just trying to uh, pacify what was going on? Because in my eyes, I would look at it as if you can't if you can't come against the issue head on, mm-hmm. considering how big of a force <clears throat> you are, because if you become being being a big force that you are and you and you project and say, this is the goal that we're going to focus on. Mm-hmm. They will have a mass following of people and they will unify people like never before. OK, but did we see that happen? But what you also have to remember is this. You are correct in what you say, but there were ministries that did speak out about social issues. There were. There were. You know, uh, Pastor Carter from Concord. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Freddie Haynes. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, still has a Black Lives Matter uh, uh, Black Lives Matter banner on the side of the Absolutely. Room. I love seeing that. You know, um, even when I was attending the main campus... At the Potter's house, after the shooting had happened in Dallas, mm-hmm. you know, Bishop Jakes held a conference mm-hmm. uh, with Chief Brown and others in the city of Dallas. And when Philando Castile got killed, you know, he held, um, it, it was called a Talk with America, I believe. Yeah, I remember that. You know, he held that. So there are pastors, and even my pastor, which is one of the main reasons why I respect him as much as I do, Pastor Winfield, he spoke up about social issues. You know, Bishop Rudolph McKissick of the Bethel Church and Dr. Jamal Bryant. There there are there are pastors who have spoken on social issues. But what many of the things that we have to remember is this is that in spite of who speaks up, it matters not if there's no actions that are behind that. Let me give you a perfect example why I say that. Yes, there are more people who voted in this election than any other time in U.S. history. Yep. But who were the majority that voted within our community? Mm. Black women. Yeah. Black women are the largest populace within our mega ministry churches. Indeed. So who spoke up? The, the, the crux of the congregation responded to it. It was some of us as black men that said, well, oh, you know, Trump gave me $1,200 that's more than what Obama gave me, so I'm going to vote for him. He actually put some money in my pocket. See, the problem isn't always necessarily who who speaks up. The problem is, is the ears of the people who hear what's been spoken and how they choose to respond to it. And and I would, I would go further to say not just how they heard it or how they respond to it, but how they mentally interpreted what they heard. Because a lot of times I've, I found myself understanding this. When you're having a conversation with a person, sometimes you have to ask, not just did you hear what I said, but what did you hear when mm-hmm. I said this? I need to understand what's your interpretation of what you heard Absolutely. to see if what, what was spoken is actually conveyed clearly or not. Absolutely. And so I'm I'm not saying that in order to show confrontation. I was just asking a question. No, no, no. You're absolutely right. Because one of the biggest things is, is that people have not really learned essentially what's called active listening. Because most people will listen to try to respond to what you have to say. Most people will listen to try to retort what you have to say. Most people don't take the time to hear what you say word by word. That's the reason why, if you notice with me, there's very few people I hold conversations with. But a lot of times I will text things to people. Because if you read it, you can't misconstrue anything I've said. Well, you said blah, blah, blah. Well, no, reread that. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I misread that. Versus, you know, even when I speak with someone, I, I oftentimes, if I don't really have that type of bond with them, you know, I'll ask them, well, was what I said, did you hear what I had said? Well, why are you asking me that? And, you know, because the thing is, people will take what you say and run with it. Right. They'll, they'll tell a whole different story and they, they will not only twist your words to make you look bad, They'll twist your words so that they look good. Yeah. You know, so, but, but going on to what you said, and let's retouch back onto that about with the communities and, you know, with the response to those pastors who did speak up. Uh, The problem also, too, is that while it was a political issue, 
how many people have gotten politically involved? That's when, when you talk with people, that's a good point. Do they know who their representative it is for their district? Do they understand the Do they process? even know what district they're in? Yeah. yeah. Do they understand this person's voting history? Mm-hmm. You know, and I ask people all the time. I'm like, Do you understand what bills are are currently at stake? You know, I I talked with a friend of mine who's a staunch conservative, and he he's a Christian, and he shared with me, Well, you know. You people who voted for Biden, you're all for killing babies and this, that, this, that. And I said, well, let me ask you something. I said, if you read on Telos, there's a Republican uh, House representative who's proposed a bill that only makes abortion illegal after 12 weeks of being pregnant. So you have until the time of conception to three months to be able to get an abortion before it becomes illegal. I said, as a conservative, as you are, I said, why is it that you don't um, ask that representative to completely absolve abortion in, in its entirety? And he was like, well, you know, at least he brought it down from 20 weeks. But I'm like, the majority of what has influence in the House and the Senate here in Texas is obviously Republicans due to Greg Abbott, the lieutenant governor, the AG and everything else being Republicans. So how is it that they have so much influence But yet, indeed, an abortion bill, which you say is a primary issue of why you're a staunch Republican, you have someone who won't uh, write a law to to completely dissolve the ability to get an abortion. And I said, you know, one of the things that you have to understand is is the socioeconomics behind it. I said, is it possible that it has to do with business due to the fact that they're here, due to the fact that they're performing a service, due to the fact that means revenues? From these places going to the comptroller, is it possible that those are taxes that are being paid because the business is occupying that land that's coming in and being revenue with the state? I said, so really it becomes an issue of how much research have you done pertaining to House Bill 69 versus what you say are the views that everyone who represents you should reflect. And that also carries into the church. Yeah, You know, how, how you socio economically and how you politically view, you know, your world carries over into how you worship. It carries over into how you see scripture. It carries over into how you see other people that are within the body of Christ. Yeah. It's a much deeper issue than necessarily of, you know, uh, what what is the truth? The truth is very subjective in this instance due to the fact it depends on whose perspective and view that is seen from. And listen, I don't know if y'all caught that, but I want y'all to rewind and listen to that again. Pay attention to how he articulated from the political, spiritual, and then brought it back. Just catch that. That was, listen, I'm sitting here. Y'all can't see me, but I was sitting there and had a thumbs up. I was like, that's good. You hear me? That's good. I almost sound like good preaching. But, um, <laughs> but you know, and, and you think about it, how you see God and how you see the church impacts how you vote. Because there's many people who I know said that they voted to be a Republican merely just off of the idea of abortion. But if that's the case and you're pro-life, why are you pro-life until the child is born? Well, I, I, will, I will say this. I know some people that live in a different state, but um, not this past election, but the election prior to, they, they were adamant. Um, they voted Republican, so I could kind of keep names out of the system yeah. I'll just say that yeah, but their their stance was on the same stance about abortion and I sat there and I said listen being leaders in the church or being people of God in general mm-hmm. I said the biggest thing about the political process is voting for somebody that is about your your interests and the things that can actually change the state of life in the area that you're in and the majority of the people that you're voting into office off of one stance are the same people that are actually keeping you in the oppressed state that you're in right now. And the most beneficial people that can actually provide change for the systems that are needed in the communities that you live in. Mm-hmm. You're putting in the you're putting in the people that are in direct opposition to it. Off of one off of one stance. Not saying that you shouldn't have a stance that's this one thing that I just can't move from. I understand that point of view. Mm-hmm. But in the same perspective, I'm sitting here saying we're saying 
we look at it from this perspective, saying the Bible says thou shalt not kill, right? That's right. And that's that's pretty much what abortion goes down to when people saying you can't be killing babies is thou shalt not kill. But I'm sitting here at the same point. I say you're telling us that we're not killing babies, but we poison them with how many vaccines that they take before they're even the age of two. And then in the top, on top of that, the amount of people that end up with um, with uh, what's what's what are those issues that autism like and things like that, autism or even just different things mm-hmm. that are more rampant and prevalent in the black community, but yet you continuously put people in in office that don't care about your community. But let's be honest, not even just with the Republicans and Democrats are just as I bad. I mean, I'm not I'm not I'm not disagreeing with you at all. And I'm not saying that I'm pro-Republican. No, I understand. But but also, too, I wanted to bring that around because I didn't want people to think that this is just a Republican bashing hour. Because some people will take and run with that dialogue, too, to say, well, oh, it's just a liberal podcast they had because all they did was talk bad about Republicans. I, I mean, because no, we know the side right of the wing, left wing, wing, it's all the same bird. Exactly. It's Man, all the listen, same bird. Listen. listen. And the a matter of fact, they even wear each other's colors sometimes. You see Republicans wearing blue. You see Democrats wearing red ties with blue suits. So it, 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 all, that's, it is all the that's, same. That's a different, but, but my main point for saying all that was to say that, like you, like, you, uh, like you put forth earlier, is just to say we have to understand which, what we can stand for and what we can't stand for. Absolutely. And then vote, vote according to that that will also affect the the type of relationship in or the type of uh, mindset that you would have in regards to church. Absolutely. So to kind of bring this all back, because what I, what I've pretty much gathered is throughout this entire conversation was the reason why the millennials are in a in a state of mass exodus from the church, and I'm not even just gonna leave it at millennials, but I'm a, it's called a millennial minute, but I'm not gonna leave it at millennials, but people in different generations are leaving the church. It's not because it's just one issue. There are multiple issues that's going Absolutely. on. And a lot of the issues are stem from the mindset from that, that's been brought about depending on which, which, part, which truth do they take. Mm-hmm. Do they take the truth of empowerment or do they take the truth of just hold on? Because the truth of just hold on is the truth of saying, yes, God is a sustainer because he is a sustainer. I'm not going to deny that. At the exact same time that he's the sustainer, he's also the one that empowers you to do these things. And as you're going in your empowerment, he will sustain you in your weakened form. Because the scripture says that in my weakness, his strength is made perfect. Mm -hmm. So that means that he's sustaining me even though I feel weak and I didn't realize that I'm able to do these things. So uh, that's an aspect of deliverance we often ignore, too, is that people forget that God has a way to sustain you. Before you get delivered, no different than the woman with the issue of blood. The fact that she bled out for 12 years and didn't die. People don't right. people right. fail to realize that was a, a miracle in itself that she could bleed for 12 years and not die. Right. And then all of a sudden, after she grabs a hold of the tassel from the hem of his garment, the, the talit that he had on, that the power of the word that was wrapped in the word came and healed her body. People forget the fact, or even when Lazarus came out the grave, you know, and that stone was rolled in front of the grave. It says that the little woman pushed the stone away. Go ahead and read it if you don't believe me. But it says that he pushed, she pushed the stone away. Now, how this little itty bitty woman push around a four or five hundred pound stone? Right. And 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 again, it's the I, I will say this phrase, and it's something that's kind of old school. It's kind of a cliche. But God deliver us from our bound mindsets. Absolutely. God deliver us from those bound slave-like mindsets. Because I'm not saying that one of the things that I would say that that was one benefit of slavery, and this is going to be controversial as ever. The one benefit that 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 slavery brought was that it birthed a cry, a prayer, and a worship out of the people. So people that were in bondage. It created the same concept of what happened with the children of Israel while they were in Egypt. There was a cry that was that was brought mm-hmm. forth. There was a prayer that came forth, and there was a a, a a message of deliverance that started to come forward. And I'm glad that you brought that up because that's what I was actually thinking about. Mm-hmm. Is because in order for us to really uh, kind of get a handle on what's going on with this mass uh, this mass exodus from this 
from our generation is the fact that we have to get delivered from the mindsets of the traditions that have been placed upon us. Amen. So if we continue to be in the same traditions that have caused us to be in oppression or caused us to be in a sense of bondage, if we're not delivered from that mindset, we'll continue on the exact same traditions that continue to reinforce and perpetuate bondage, bondage of the mind and bondage of the mind holds back progression in a natural sense and in the spiritual sense. Absolutely. Because I can speak to you and tell you all you all I want to and say, not only has God that God will do it, but God has already done it. If the mind is not renewed or the mind is not in a, uh, a receiving state of saying that this is this is the truth of it. That God has already done it. So now let me be in the mindset that he's already accomplished. And let me walk in that. And not and I'm 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 this is gonna sound kind of controversial too. Yeah, go ahead. I'm beyond people saying fake it till you make it. Oh, I'm yeah. beyond that concept. When I say that, I'm saying like they say you gotta you gotta sometimes believe even though you don't have it, you gotta fake it till you make it. Here's the concept: we are natural beings. That have a soul that is a type of spirit with the spirit of God on the inside of us. The soul is 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 the the mind, heart, will, intellect, emotion of a person. It's it's the it's the breath, the rule of God, right? Yeah. And so, if that be said, that's the eternal essence of us. If it's the eternal essence, it's in the same timing of where the spirit of God is. So, therefore, I don't have to fake it till I make it. I've made it. I'm just waiting for the manifestation of it. So I'm not going to be saying, oh, I'm faking, I'm faking, I'm faking. No, I'm saying literally, I've already made it. But see, there's a problem there, though. There's a problem. And see, I'm so glad you opened up Pandora's box. This is go. Because Pandora can't go back in now. <laughs> one, of the thing that, one of the things that we have to look into with, with Scripture is when we read Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 1, and it says, and for faith... Is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. And a shout out to Dr. David Cho with the fourth dimension. I also want to give a shout out to uh, Dr. Bill Winston uh, with his ministries, Bill Winston Ministries, for how I discovered this book. And I've sent it to many who attend Friday Night Fire. I would encourage you all uh, to get Dr. Cho's uh, The Fourth Dimension. And one of the things that he specifically states within the book is that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Dr. Cho explains that with prayers, like what you said, what we believe, one of the biggest detriments to the manifestations of things that happen in our lives is that we have no substance. Mm. See, substance requires for you to have a clear-cut image mm -hmm. of what it is that you're expecting God to do. That's good. When he writes in the book, he says that I asked God for a desk I asked God for a bicycle and I asked God for a chair. And um, he said that two months came by, he didn't get it. Six months came by and then he became angry with God. And he tells God, well, why is it that, you know, you haven't given me this and I prayed for it. And how do you expect me to pastor these people and teach them to believe in prayer? But you ain't told me nothing. He said and the Holy Spirit had to check him. And uh, he, t he told him that, uh, well, do you know how many different types of bikes there are? Do you know how many different types of desks there are? Do you know how many different types of chairs there are? He said, why are you expecting me to deliver something to you and you don't even specifically know what it is that you want from me? Yeah. And he said he asked for forgiveness. And he said when he prayed again, he said he had a clear-cut image in his mind that he kept for what he wanted. And he said every last thing he prayed for, he ended up receiving. Yeah. Part of it is... With our prayer life is not only people tell you to fake it till, the, till you make it. One of the things you have to have is you have to have a clear cut substance of what it is that you want from God before you can make it. You have to have a, a clear cut image. Don't ask God for just a car. If you want a Mercedes S550, tell God I'd like a 2019, 2020, 2018 uh, S550. If you want a brand new blue pinstripe suit, tell God and have a clear image of what you want. Because one of the things that uh, I'll give you a perfect example. My wife and I, we envisioned us living in the townhome that we're currently in. 
We were at the end of our lease. We, we weren't sure if we were going to stay within the same apartment complex. But when I looked through and I saw 2411, um, well, I'm not telling you the rest of my address because some of you may be crazy enough to try to show up here or something. But um, <laughs> when I saw 2411, I said, D, that's where we're going to be. And we looked and we saw downstairs and the people were moving out and they did a virtual tour. And we looked through there and we began to see that we wanted for this to be an office and we wanted this to be the bedroom. And we wanted to look in the shower and saw there was a stand up shower. We envisioned ourselves living here. So what ended up happening was the other properties that we applied to to move, they closed out and they denied us. We got approved here and then our rent here was cheaper than what our rent was going to be at the apartment that we were living in. God did all of that during the pandemic, but it came with us having not only faith, but we had a clear cut image of what it was that we were expecting. We were believing and saw ourselves in the home every day. Some of you may say, well, how was that scriptural? I'm so glad that you asked. When you read in the book of Genesis, one of the things that we have to understand is the principles of the Bible are either applicable to be good or they're applicable to be bad because the principles, there's no attachment with either or. You work, you reap. Yep. You sow, you harvest. Yep. That principle is the same. You give to good things. You reap eternal life. The book of Galatians said you sow to the flesh. You reap corruption. But what it says is, is that when they built the Tower of Babel, it said, you know, the scripture tells us, I believe it's in Genesis chapter 11. Yeah. It says because they had envisioned that they saw the tower being completed, nothing would have stopped them. And God himself came down. And scattered their language. Because they are one people of one language. They were saying the same thing, thinking the same thing, believing the same thing. Absolutely. Because when the mind, the heart, and the eye gate become one, nothing is impossible. You have over 10 billion receptors, sensory receptors in your, in your mind. You have only about 1.7 million from what I was reading with the neurological study. Uh, that was in Dr. Cho's book. It's about one point, and I also heard in a, uh, a message that Bishop Jakes had preached. You have over 10 billion receptors in your mind, in your imagination. Your body has about 1.7 million. But the thing is, we use our senses to tell us what's real. 1.7 million, instead of relying on the 10 billion that we have that creates from those things that are not seen, that are eternal, Versus the things that are seen that are temporal. Right. So that's that all that is amazing. And I'm sitting here like I really kind of want to go down that rabbit hole and kind of go a little bit further that part. But I think we should uh kind of like bring it back to kind of just go ahead and close out. Okay. But, um but the thing the 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 thing that I guess that I want us to uh get a, a clear cut uh, accomplishment on is what are some steps to take in order to to bring not even just kind of halt the move of the people of leaving but to to in, in fact at least pique the curiosity or the desire to want to come back what can we do i think one of the biggest things is to apologize mm. and 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 a lot of people are too mm. prideful to ever admit that they were wrong. Yeah. I think that that's a big thing. I think if you really apologize for certain traditions that you've kept that aren't scripturally sane or sound, if you've kept certain things as rules and tried to say it was scripture and people have found out and been turned off by it, I think one of the biggest things with offense is not necessarily that the offense occurred, but the fact that the offender can take time to acknowledge and say that they're sorry for what they did. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you, I'm so thankful that you said that because uh, while you were talking, I kept on hearing another reason why a lot of people leave the church is because of the one offense is because of church hurt. They're hurt because the church, the place that they were supposed to go to or run to like in the earlier part of the conversation to find that sense of security, that sense of refuge became this, the same place of oppression and abuse. Absolutely. And so... By you saying the first thing, one of the first things that the church 
we should believe that the church should do is to apologize. And I'm, I'm listen. I'm with it. Mm-hmm. I'm with it all the way through. Um, but even think about it within church hurt. Church hurt can also even take place in the current church you're in. For example, you could be a single mother. People look at you like, oh, look at her having sex out of wedlock. That's how she got them babies. Or even if you've been a member of a church for a long time and people ask you, well, well when are you going to get married? Like something is wrong with you. Yeah. Or like you're a leper because you haven't gotten married yet or because you haven't had children or people ask you, you've been married for a while. Well, when are you two going to have kids? You know, just. Does y'all's plumbing work? You know, it, it, it's, you know, no, but people, people, people say like and do these yes. type of things yes. in church <clears throat> or even when, um, sometimes people will, will talk about people who can't give a certain amount when it comes time for giving. But because the thing is, you know, people fail to realize people can write you a check for $5,000 in church. The church can bounce for, I mean, the check can bounce from here to California and in the eyes of people, it looked good, but there was no substance behind it when it came behind closed doors. Yeah. Or you can have someone who really earnestly gave their very last, and it may have only been $3. And yeah. that may be the sacrifice that God says, well, okay, I can honor that. Like because you, you didn't months. know what to do, and this is all you had, and you gave the very best that you could. Yeah. You know, we've we, we become hyper-competitive in the church. To show that God blessed us because we pull up with a new Mercedes or a new Bentley or I have a new Rolex on my on my wrist and I wear gator shoes. But the thing is, don't allow the materialism to cause the church to become a social clique and not to become a spiritual hospital to heal people. So it's in essence, that's another tradition of men. Absolutely. Because (laughs) if you think about it in scripture and a lot of people aren't going to be happy when I say this. One of the biggest traditions that we keep up has to do with Resurrection Sunday. Mm. People buying Easter suits and buying fancy clothes. Herod used to get dressed up like that during the Passover to come to the temple. Yeah. It was Herod that would dress up in his finest attire. People, people feel like because you clothe the outside... And you look the part, that means that there's no prosperity on the inside, but the devil is a lie because the world can give you everything and you can still lose your soul. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm just again, I'm just sitting here smiling and laughing because of how good this this conversation is. And uh And to be honest with you too, a lot of y'all that think y'all look so fly, y'all got cheap suits on anyway. Child child is somebody be a pair. Y'all got because anyway. <laughs> to be honest with you, I, I, I got I got a way to hey, get hey, to get hey, what's quality hey. for less than. <laughs> but no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All jokes aside, though, all jokes aside, don't allow your prosperity on the outside to, to fool people into thinking that God is on the inside, because a lot of times what presents itself as good on the outside it is is not what it is. The Bible even tells us that Satan presented himself as an angel of light. Yeah. That means he was beautiful. He was handsome. He was attractive. He 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 um, he, he was he he would catch people's eye. But even Jesus talked about how people will wash the outside of the cup but not clean the inside. Absolutely, he he wasn't no man in red pajamas with a pitchfork. <laughs> nah. He wasn't the guy from Hell Date, for those who are old enough to know about that. And listen, some, sometimes the devil is right in the mirror with you. Absolutely. <laughs> like, seriously. Absolutely. But, um, no, nah, I'm just, I'm, I'm excited about, about this, this first time that we've come up and discussed this. We've talked about a lot of different topics, man. Listen, listen. Be sure to join in with us again next time. And um, please, if, uh, if it's on... You see it on Facebook or you see this on YouTube or you see a post about it on Instagram. Just like, subscribe, follow, hit the notifications, all of that. And be sure to be be ready for the next time. Can't promise what's, what's not going to be said. Can't promise what is going to be said. But just know it's going to be real and it's going to be the truth. Absolutely. And we'll give you time to let you know the topics that we'll discuss. We'll end this with a prayer and then we'll be good to go. We'll end this with a prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity for us to discuss you, not only 
ecclesiastically, not only through church, but Lord God, through how we see you in society, how we see you in culture, and how we see ourselves through you. I thank you for every listener that has heard this podcast. I thank you, Lord God, for everything that you will do in their life. I pray that there were seeds that were sown that would make them laugh and bring joy, but also to make them think and reflect. It is in the name of Jesus that I do give thanks. I do pray and I ask it all. Amen. Amen.